You know, in light of, uh, in light of the focus on children uh, this past week, I thought it might be appropriate uh, for us to, to uh, go over a few children's prayers. Uh, you know how kids, uh, they can say some of the funniest things at times. And I, I've compiled a list of uh, eight prayers that kids have given over the years, and I thought I'd share some of them with you. Uh, let's take a look at the first one here. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family and I can never do it. Let's go to the next one here. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. All right, next up. Dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. As a boy talking there. Dear God, please help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing. I don't need help in anything else. <laughs> Dear God, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. <laughs> Dear God, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? If you did, then I'm going to get even with my brother. Couple more. Dear God, in school we read that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said you did it first. Did he steal your idea? And my personal favorite, reciting the Lord's Prayer. Dear God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email. Amen. Deliver us from evil, you know, some email. She got that one wrong. Hey, children's, uh, their, their prayers are precious. Their prayers are precious. My son, who is uh, 21 months, he's already saying amen at the end of our prayers. And Casey and I just melt every time he does. But as we open up the Bible today, as we, as we look into God's Word, we're going to be looking at another precious prayer this morning. We're going to be looking at a precious, precious prayer. But this prayer has a little bit more weight to it because it's coming from the lips of Jesus Christ Himself. In John chapter 17, verse 20 to 26, Jesus is offering final words of instruction and teaching to his disciples in what is called the upper room the night before his death. He's offering final prayers, if you will, for his disciples that they would remain strong in the midst of adversity. But lastly, at the end of John 17, Jesus offers a prayer for another group of people. This group of people are you and me. Jesus, at the end of John 17, offers a prayer for all believers of all time. And today, this morning, we are going to look at what Jesus prayed for us. The title of my message this morning is Jesus' Prayer for us. Turn to John 17, and we're going to be in verses 20 to 26. There's a Bible in the pew, if you'd like, uh, the red Bible there. And John is about two-thirds of the way through your Bibles. And uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. These are the words of Jesus Christ, a prayer for you and for me. This is what He says. He says, I do not pray for these alone, that is, the disciples alone who I'm speaking with, but also I pray for those who will believe in Me through their Word, that they all may be one, 
as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love which you with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's briefly ask God to help us as we understand His Word. Father, I pray this morning as we open up Your, your Word, Your truth, that You, by Your Spirit, would lead us and guide us. Illumine our eyes. Help us to see clearly the truth of Your Word as we consider Jesus' prayer for us. In His name we pray. Amen. Go again to verse 20 and 21. Let's read it again here. It says, I do not pray for these alone. And He's speaking with His disciples. And so as Jesus is praying this, He's perhaps motioning to those who are around Him. I'm not praying for the disciples alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through the disciples' word or testimony that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you've sent me. So I've listed disciples there in brackets. That's not a part of the uh, original text in the Word of God. I've given that there for, for clarification for those of you who are, who are reading it to make it a little bit more smooth. Jesus is not praying for the disciples alone. Who is he praying for? All believers, all Christians of all time, both in the first century who had already heard the message from the disciples' lips or from Jesus' lips Himself, but He's also going on to pray for all those who will believe in the message. You and I here today, some of, many of whom have expressed faith in Christ. We are believers in Jesus Christ. This is a prayer for you. And what is Jesus praying for? Notice verse 21. He says that they all, the disciples, the believers, all together, that we all may be one. Jesus is praying for unity. He is praying for unity. And I ask the question, why is Jesus praying for unity here? Why is Jesus in John 17, the end of His, uh, some of the last words of His life, Why is it among all the things he could have prayed for, he prayed for unity among Christians? A couple thoughts on this. First, Jesus' death was imminent. Imminent on your outline if you'd like to take notes. If Jesus' followers were to continue his teaching and way of life, they would need to band together in the midst of their leader's crucifixion. You see, Jesus was literally 24 hours away from death as he spoke these words. And if they were, the disciples and Christians were to continue on in the faith, 
to continue to, to carry on Jesus' life and message, they themselves would need to be united. Secondly, the Lord is one. And we see this listed in our text. But notice this, the Father, Son, and Spirit share one divine nature, and therefore those who worship the Lord should also be a united community of faith. Notice clearly, as we, as we consider this point, the middle of verse 21. He says, I pray that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. Jesus gives as the example of unity the divine nature of God. As an example of the unity He's praying for, He says, I pray that they may be one just like You are in Me, Father, and I am in You, Jesus says. Father, Son, Spirit. Three persons. One divine nature. The Trinity. Jesus points to His own nature, His own relationship with the Father as a basis for our unity. Do you worship the one true God as expressed in the Holy Scriptures? You're worshiping a God who is one. Who is perfectly united with Himself. And He asks those who worship Him to let that be a motivation. To let that beckon them also to be one with one another. Now there's a third and final reason why Jesus prayed for unity among Christians. And it's found in the latter part of verse 21. Notice what it says at the latter part of verse 21. Jesus says, I pray that the world may believe that you sent me. I pray for unity. I'm giving an example of unity in my own person, in my own relationship with God the Father and with myself and with the Holy Spirit. But also, I'm praying for unity that the world may believe that You sent Me. And this brings us to our third point on why Jesus is praying for unity. Jesus prayed for unity among Christians because unbelievers, that is, non-Christians, those who, who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior yet, non-believers, unbelievers, who witness true Christian unity are drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what... Jesus is saying very clearly here. He's saying, do you want to have influence in the world around you? Do you want to share with your friends about the beauty of the message of redemption, forgiveness of sins, eternal life by faith in Christ? Do you want your friends and neighbors and family members who don't know Jesus to know that? Then be united with your Christian brothers and sisters. Your unity will speak volumes to an unbelieving world. Your unity will speak volumes to an unbelieving world. Now, Jesus' prayer continues in verse 22. Notice verse 22 and 23. It says, "...in the glory which You gave Me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as We are one, I in them and You in Me, that they may be that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, there's a lot of repeating themes here, but there's one new theme that's arisen in this prayer, and that is the concept of glory. Jesus speaks here in verse 22 
about receiving glory from God and giving glory to believers. Now, what is this glory? Uh, And how does this glory contribute to unity? It's actually a very difficult question. What is this glory and how does it contribute to unity? Um, Scholars, uh, biblical scholars are a little bit divided on this. Some say, well, the, the glory that Jesus is speaking of is the Holy Spirit. That's a possibility. However, if you notice very clearly in verse 22, it's that the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Had Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit upon the believers at this time? No. That came, as the children learned, on the day of Pentecost, following Jesus' death and resurrection. Many days later, 50 days later, we saw... Excuse me, 40 days. 50 days? Why am I I blanking out? Pentecost. 50 days. 50 days. Forty days? Forty. What's pente? What's, what's the root there? Why am I blanking? You know what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit was to come at a later point in time. And this was not the time in which the Spirit had been given. So the glory here is probably not the Holy Spirit. Other scholars say maybe it was uh, the ability to perform miracles or to heal in Jesus' name. That Jesus brought with Him this glory Uh, of miraculous signs to earth and and bestowed them upon His followers. And that's a possibility. But most likely, most likely, the glory that Jesus speaks of here is the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. The knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says about the glory of God. Notice the relationship between glory and knowing the one true God. This is what Paul says. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is a powerful statement. Paul is expressing to the Corinthian church that knowledge of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what God is saying to you? Look at the person of Jesus Christ. There is a glorious kind of knowledge, of revelation, of testimony about God in the person of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews also um, confirms that this glory is also expressed as the knowledge of God. Notice what it, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1, 2, and 3. It says, God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the worlds, who, this is speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Jesus Christ is the very brightness, the very glory of God. He reveals God to you and to me. He reveals the knowledge of God. Jesus shows us the glory of God. He has revealed God to man. When we look at Jesus we are seeing the brightness of that glory. And as we study God's Word, as we learn more about Jesus and His teaching, 
we are studying and meditating upon the very person who has shown God to us, Jesus Christ. And this knowledge, folks, this knowledge that we glean from looking at Jesus, looking at His life, studying His teaching, the knowledge of the one true God is glorious knowledge. It motivates us. It beckons us. As we come to know the one true God, it inspires and wells up within us unity in our churches. Unity among Christian brothers and sisters. The knowledge of the glory of God is a means to unity. The more you know about God, the more you will be united to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now back to verse 23. Jesus continues to pray fervently for the believers here. And He prays that they may be perfect in one. That means completely one or perfectly one. And once again, Jesus reminds us for a second time now, you'll notice at the end of uh, verse 23, that the world may know that You've sent Me. Once again, the more we are united as a community of faith, the more likely it is that the unbelieving world will consider the person of Jesus Christ. Consider His love for them. Consider that His Son, Jesus Christ, has died for them. Jesus' prayer continues in verse 24. Take a look at verse 24. It says this, Father, I desire that they also whom You gave Me may be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which You have given Me, for You loved Me before the foundation of the world. Jesus says a couple clear things here. He says, I desire that they also whom You gave Me may be with Me where I am. Jesus desires reunion with us. He knows, at this point in His prayer, He knows He is 24 hours away from crucifixion. He is aware of His imminent death. And He prays for the disciples and for all believers, you and me, who know Jesus Christ by faith. He is praying for our reunion. He is asking the Father, Lord, I look forward to the day when I am reunited with my sons and daughters. Why does He look forward to that day? That they may behold My glory, Jesus says, which You have given Me, for You loved Me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants us, folks, to behold His glory. He wants us to share in His glory. He wants us to see Him in all of His glorious light and beauty and truth. And He wants us to participate with Him in that glory. You know, I'm reminded of... of, uh, Jesus here is saying, I know how great this is. And I want you to be a part of it. He's saying, I know how great and how glorious the glory of God is. And I want all of you to bear witness to that light, that truth, that perfection, that glory. Um, you guys know when you, when, when you, you love something, right? Maybe, maybe you've got a favorite food. Maybe you've got a favorite vacation spot. Maybe you've got a, you know, a favorite ride at Disneyland or Magic Mountain or something like that. And you know what it's like when you have a friend 
who's never eaten that food, or when you have a friend who's never been on that ride, or who has never traveled to that city, that destination that you love to vacation at, we naturally love to bring newcomers along and to say, see, look, look how good this is. Look how good this tastes. Feel how wonderful this feels as you ride on that thrilling roller coaster. We get excited to show others something new and great and glorious in our eyes. And Jesus here is saying, I know what's good. I know what's glorious. The glory of God is something that none of you want to miss. The light, the truth, the beauty, the peace, the hope, all of it is nothing that you want to miss. And so Jesus is praying that they may behold and share in that glory. He wants the newcomers to know about it. The prayer concludes in verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, the world has not known You, but I have known You, and these have known that You have sent Me. And I have declared to them Your name and will declare it that the love with which You loved Me may be in them and I in them. Jesus says, but the world right now doesn't know of this glory. I want to share it with them, but they, those who don't know Me by faith, they lack this knowledge. They need this knowledge. He says, the world does not know Me yet. Excuse me, doesn't, the world does not know the Father yet. But Jesus knows the Father. Jesus knows the truth of the one true God. And He is expressing the Father to all that would hear Him. He is expressing the knowledge of the one true God, that glorious knowledge to all who will hear Him. He says, I know you, and these, these have known that you sent me. There's a lot of tricky pronouns in these verses. You, you who are English grammarians, uh, tons and tons of pronouns. These, this, them, they. Um, this clause is actually most likely in reference to the disciples again. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus was praying for the disciples moments earlier. Okay, Prior to verse 20, He was praying for the disciples exclusively. And here we are in verse 25. And Jesus uses a verb in the past tense. He says, have known. Have known, verse 25. He says, I have known you, Father, and these, these disciples who are around my table, have also known that you sent me. Clearly, he's not speaking to you and I because at that point in time, we hadn't come to faith in Christ. We hadn't even been born. And so he's speaking to those in the past who have come to know him and come to know God the Father through faith in Christ. Nevertheless, the the application applies to us, folks. The thrust of this statement applies to us. We, like the disciples, have come to know the Father by faith in Jesus Christ. And notice, notice verse 26 carefully. Notice how Jesus ends this prayer. He says, And I have declared to them Your name, Father. And will declare it. I will continue to declare it. That the love with which you loved me may be in them 
and I in them. Friends, Jesus has declared God to us. He continues to declare God to us by means of the Holy Spirit. We have received this declaration from Jesus and from the testimony of the disciples and from the testimony of the written Word. We have believed this testimony. We have received it in faith. We have received in faith the message that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We've received that message. The love that God the Father has for His Son, Jesus Christ, that love was directed toward you and me on the cross of Calvary when Jesus bled and died. The kids sang of the power of the blood. They had that hand motion, the blood dripping down. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God's love directed at His Son has now been directed at all of us by the cross at Calvary, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That love has been directed at you. And God is asking that you would respond to that love in faith. That you would respond to that love by saying, Jesus Christ, I believe in You. I believe You are my Savior. I want to live with You forever. Jesus' final words in this prayer have come to pass, friends. We have been united with Jesus Christ by faith in Him. And truly, the love with which the Father loved Jesus is in us. Now, we've read this morning about Jesus' prayer for you and for me, for Christians. These were some of Jesus' final words spoken on earth. And in this prayer, Jesus didn't ask that God would bless us with wealth. He didn't ask that God would bless us with power. He didn't ask that God would bless us with material possessions. Instead, He prayed that God would bless us with something far greater. Far more influential than physical strength or riches. He asked that God would bless us with unity. The psalmist writes, I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. I am a companion of all who fear you. And in 133 verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How can we learn from these precious words of Jesus? What are some application points that we, you and I can walk away with at the end of the day? Uh, first, I, I might throw this your way. Of all the things, friends, that Jesus could have prayed for, of all the things, His last prayer for you and for me, He chose to pray for unity. Okay? In light of this, how serious of an offense do you think disunity with fellow Christians is in God's eyes? I was meditating on this passage a lot um, and, and thinking he could have prayed for anything. And he prayed for unity. And so when we are out of 
unity, when we are disunited, when we are in discord with one another, when there's friction in the body of Christ between Christians, how serious of an offense do you think that is to God? I would contend that that's a pretty serious sin. Secondly, when we come together as Christians, the world more readily considers the person of Jesus. But if we lack unity, we hinder others from coming to faith in Christ. Folks, I cannot tell you how much of a testimony it is for people to walk into a church or to witness Christian neighbors who love, dearly love and care for one another. I would argue that that is perhaps the most powerful testimony you can give to someone who doesn't know about Jesus Christ. Is show them your love and unity with one another. Don't hinder someone from coming to faith because you're at odds with another Christian. And that brings me to point three. Are you at odds with anyone? Which fellow Christian am I I at odds with? Today is the day of reconciliation. If you are not in harmony with someone in your church, in your family, a believer in Jesus Christ, folks, today is the day to make that right. You worship the, the one true God. You worship the triune God perfectly in unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if you yourselves are not in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's disappointing to the God that you worship. Fourth and finally, we have two churches here, right? What more can our churches do to foster unity in Christ? I know uh, Pastor Joe De La Pena and Pastor Fernando Cinco and the leaders of Church on the Solid Rock and, and Coast We've enjoyed cooperating with one another this last week, and we did this last year. Uh, What can our churches do to to foster more unity with one another? And I would throw that out there for all of us to consider. Friends, Jesus' prayer for us was a prayer for unity. And my prayer is that all of us would recognize that we need to be united to our brothers and sisters in Christ as God is perfectly united with Himself. As we worship Him, let us be in harmony with one another. And that will be a testimony to those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, You've shown us Your love for us through Jesus Christ, Your Son. You've shown us perfectly what it means to show sacrificial, unconditional love by giving up Your one and only Son to die on our behalf and to give us a second chance at life forever. Life that we attain by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that not one person, not one adult or child, not one newcomer or someone who's been here for a long, long time would walk out of these doors not having known Your Son in faith not having come to a state of harmony with their other brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray, Lord, that we, as we attempt to tell the world about the glorious knowledge of God by faith in Christ, I pray that we would be united. That the world would look at our unity and would say, I want what they have. I want what they have. The love and the unity that we have with one another under Your Son. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.